passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to the AEW Double or Nothing Post Show. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, and we're going to be here with you for... As long as it takes to uh, run through the AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view, we're going to be taking your phone calls and running through that entire uh, card. How are you doing tonight, Way? Doing all right, John. Yeah. Uh, well, off the top, uh, we are going to be getting to the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, but uh, of course, uh, we were finishing up Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night when the uh, tragic news came down uh, regarding uh, Hana Kimura, and I wanted to have uh, WH Park uh, join us right off the top. Uh, because that is uh, clearly the biggest story going on right now uh, in the wrestling industry. And to get the perspective of kind of uh, the news circulating uh, throughout Japan, I thought it'd be really great to have uh, WH on. So uh, you can uh, always hear WH Park, a regular here at Post Wrestling on uh, Post Pro Res. And WH, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, so tell us a little bit about um, just how you heard about uh, the news. Certainly, you know, we, we saw the disturbing, you know, tweets and images uh, throughout the day on Friday, our time. But uh, just tell us a little bit about um, how aware you were of those messages throughout the day and then finding out like this horrific news involving Hanukkah I didn't find out about it till like yesterday morning when I, I woke up to like you know, people sending me messages with screen caps of you know, from, from Hannah's Twitter about her self-harming herself and stuff. And I was really disturbed by this. But it, from there, I just, just had to run some errands. But by the time I came back home and checked my phone again, it, you know, the news came up that she had passed away, that you know, she died. And I was just, like, incredibly shocked. But this has been, like, news circulating not only in Japan but throughout the world. I think yeah. someone mentioned that it showed up on the BBC website front page and stuff like that. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the – you know, the kind of the similarities between her situation and what happened to some of the people who've appeared on the reality show Love Island and stuff like that. Yeah, that was kind of my next question of just, you know, um, just over the past 24 hours, how how big of a story that this has been. And I mean, you've seen outlets like Variety covering this. You mentioned uh, the BBC. Um, you know, it, it's one of those stories that I think just because and 
granted that we don't have all of the details official yet, but from what you know, most people can, can gather from this, the circumstances behind it, it's going to be, to me, a story that's going to get a lot of attention because this is a pretty prevalent issue. And this is, and I mean, it's a tragedy, but given that she was 22, this is, to me, going to be a pretty big news story that goes beyond just a professional wrestling story. Oh, I definitely think it's getting a lot of mainstream press throughout Japan because not only was she a wrestling uh, star, but she's also a mainstream star because of her parents on Terrace House and the, the Terrace House kind of connection and the angle of, you know, kind of Terrace House being involved somewhat in like the circumstances surrounding her death are, are definitely big news stories here in Japan. Terrace House is a very, very popular show in Japan as well. What has some of the reaction been, um, at least, uh, you know, in regards to the discussion about perhaps depression or cyberbullying? Because um, it's, I sense it's very different from how it might be here. Um, I get the impression based on comments I've seen that in some cases it might even be worse than like what we see on like English Twitter. Um, a lot of the elements of her bullet. Her bullying was like people bullying her was that a lot of it was focused on her race because she's she's not fully Japanese. She's of mixed race. She's half Indonesian and half Japanese. And a lot, a lot of the, the comments directed to her were, 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 you know, xenophobic and racist. So that played a huge part in like, I think, you know, her mental state and what happened. You know, from what you have gotten to, to see over there, WH, I mean, how is this? being handled are they being very, like in terms of like the media stories you've seen over there are they kind of keeping it very quiet about the circumstances i mean how how much how, how many more details have you heard over there versus you know kind of what we've been exposed to here which is you know it's been very little beyond just you know stardom's announcement at, at this point um they they're speculating on how how she might have died um uh, i forget the, like using a hydroxy sulfide something to that effect that's kind of speculation there there's speculation that her mother kyoko kimura uh might have been the first one to find out about this and you know kind of those kind of details and stuff like that it's just really heartbreaking stuff yeah uh it's yeah it's 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 a really shitty situation um do you do you want to wh you know for some people who might not be that familiar with her as a wrestler um, maybe just kind of briefly talk about maybe a, a bit of her history and why she was such a special talent. Uh, she She's a second-generation wrestler. Her mother, Kyoko Kimura, was a, a Joshi wrestler in Japan for a long time. Um, Kat Hana was exposed to wrestling at a young age because her mother would bring her to shows. And a lot of the... A lot of the you know wrestlers, women wrestlers in Japan were very familiar with her because you know they would see her at shows and you know her and they were friends with her mother. She started off training with Russell One, uh, mm-hmm. Keiji Muto's company, post All Japan, and then she would do um, freelancing work through you know Stardom, through Sendai Girls, and other promotions. And then she finally landed a, a regular spot in Stardom, joining Oedo Tai faction with Kagetsu. And Oedo Tai is a is a is a faction that her mother Kyoko started. Um, she then, you know, went to Mexico and then after she came back to Mexico, she just became a completely new character and was really kind of like the, the jumpstarting of her rise as a star in the world of Joshi. And I think was going to, you know, propel her to like a main event spot in stardom before she, you know, before the, the pandemic lockdown and before she passed away. How do you see it 
Granted, it's it's quite a strange period right now with, with no shows running, but like, how do you envision stardom handling this? And uh, just kind of the, the nature of which it was, you know, like a, a suicide as well. Like, how do you think that this is going to be handled specifically by the company itself whenever they're back to running shows? I mean, it's it's very early, but um, what, what do you think is the move that stardom makes in terms of how they uh, address this with their audience? I, I have no idea. Like, I don't know when wrestling is going to come back. I don't know when Bushi Road, either New Japan or Stardom, are going to have shows with fans in them. I would assume some kind of a tribute show is in order. That's probably something they're going to do and probably try to get out the message of you know, have anti-bullying messages out there. And I would hope behind the scenes that they're going to start maybe training um, the wrestlers, especially the their really young ones, because you have to keep in mind that in Joshi, like women start training to become wrestlers at a very, very young age. And I would hope part of that training involves like how to deal with social media, how to deal with bullying and, and negative comments and th- things like that. Like, I think that's severely lacking in any kind of entertainment, but especially for, you know, people in the public eye who are so, so young, it, it's really tough. And I think, you know, like my speculation is like a lot of people who retire from wrestling in the Joshi world do so because they're, they, you know, they don't want to deal with some of the, the, the things that they see on social media directed towards them. And, and I think that that is maybe like something that many, many companies, all companies can learn from that. If if there are the resources available, almost having like that person that is almost like a counselor that's on the road for a lot of these people and kind of breaking down that that stigma of just keeping this all to themselves that you're right. When you're talking about a lot of young individuals that are being thrown into into this as well, um, this is you know it's a major issue when you've seen the response from so many performers today of what they have to go through. And I'm sure that across the board, there's a lot of terrible stuff that these performers have to be um, that they have to read and see every day. But I would imagine for especially for younger female wrestlers, I would imagine it's it's horrible probably what they see on a daily basis and having at least kind of an outlet of where the companies can provide that, that help for someone. There's someone that is routinely there that is on the road. That is a sounding board for these people that are um, extending that, that help. Um, I would think that that would be maybe something to look into as well. I think part of it for, for Hannah specifically is that she had to deal with a lot of stuff. I'm sure being of mixed race in Japan, it's, it's not an easy thing to be half Japanese in Japan. Um, it can be really tough for a lot of you know people growing up in the school systems here, be, being a bit different from everyone else. So I think that probably was a you know, compounding factor. That's just my speculation, of course. But um, definitely, like I, I really think it, there needs to be this issue of like looking at training people to deal with the media, not just how to be wrestlers in the ring, but how to be personalities uh, like in the public eye whether that's on social media or appearing on television on 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 news shows and things like that you know um i guess being familiar with her uh mainly as a wrestler in the public eye um what i'm trying to say is you know i i watch the show of course and i will tell you watching the show she seemed like somebody who was incredibly confident and did not really, I would say, exhibit any outward signs that she would do something like this at all. Um, and that's to say she probably hit it incredibly well. I, I guess, you know, from your perspective, WH, like, 
you know, what did you think of her, I guess, as a persona? Did you see any signs of like anything really this, this on this level that, that would have bothered her like that? No, not at all. I was so shocked to see uh, the images of her self-harming herself because like, like you said, way, like she's always exhibited this extreme confidence in the ring as, as a public persona. And like, I can't imagine myself ever being on TV or in the public eye in front of a crowd being as confident. She was, this is before she even went to Mexico after she came back from Mexico, she just exuded this superstar quality that you you could sense was in her uh, pre-Mexico, but after Mexico, and then she just became, you know, this big star in, in stardom. She created her own her own faction, Tokyo Cyber Squad. And she was like kind of taking some of the younger wrestlers under her wing in that faction, I'm sure, backstage as well. So, you know, you could tell that Bushiroad was very, very high on her. They put her in that dark tag match with Julia, Mayu Itani, and Erisa Hoshiki. And like you could tell those were the four that, that Bushiroad was really high on. And they were going to build the company going forward around those four. And and she was going to be, I, I would say, if not number two, possibly number one outside of Mayu Iwatani. I, I would say, I would say absolutely. Like uh, it would be kind of one, two with, with like Mayu Iwatani at that point. And I mean, this comes d- days after as well, Hoshiki announcing her retirement as well. It's just, um, just such a whirlwind to look back that, you know, that was that tag match uh, on January 4th uh, as well. It's, it's a really terrible story and one that I think will be talked about for, for quite a while just because of the circumstances and because of probably more details that, that may become available. But, you know, an, another issue, you know, when, when someone takes their life in this way, it's that you are often left with a lot of questions and not always the, the answers that are going to be provided um, because it's um, n- no one is going to fully know what those final 24 hours were like other than her. Yeah, I mean, I... I can't imagine what it's like for her, her family, her friends, and her coworkers in stardom. I mean, a lot of the outpouring that comes out on social media from people in Japanese wrestling has been incredible. Nothing but positive things to say about her as a person, mainly. Like, what a vibrant and, and happy person she was to them. And, and it's just really, really sad. I, 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 you know, like, I feel, you know, like I think about it and it just makes me sad. Just, it, it is truly a tragedy. It, it that's the the only word you can use to describe it. I mean, uh, twenty two years old. It's it's heartbreaking. It's just a, a terrible uh, story. Uh, I'm sure WH will be talking about this a, a bit more next weekend. We'll be back with a new uh, post pro res. And uh, thanks a lot just uh, for jumping on with us. Uh, this was uh, the biggest story, so I want to start off the the top with it. So uh, just thanks for uh, carving out some time to come chat with us tonight. Uh, no problem. Any anything for you guys. All thanks, right. WH. Uh, that is WH Park, everybody. You can uh, hear them, as always, on uh, Post Pro Res, and we will be having a new show out uh, next weekend. So, wait, just any kind of closing thoughts on, on that subject? I know we, we haven't talked really since last night. Uh, today, just tons and tons of uh, people talking about Hanakamura and having you know a lot of reactions, a lot of strong reactions to this uh, story. A lot of people uh, devastated, some uh, very angry about this, and justifiably so. Um, that's that's kind of been the tone throughout the day, just shock, anger, and just a lot of sadness over this story. Yeah, yeah, honestly, um, it was uh, like, uh, you know, coming off of, I would say, like a really tough week already. And, you know, especially like, there's like a moment like last night where we were finishing the show and like finishing up the Owen review where like, you know, 
I felt like a at least a bit of positivity, like having talked about, you know, what Martha and Oge and Athena had gone through and how, how they really kind of persevered through all that to become better people. It felt like it was we were like ending the week on like a bit of a high note after all all the terrible terribleness. And then, you know, something like this to me this one this one hits the hardest and um yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about it today. And I probably will continue to think about it as, you know, um yeah, as anybody who I guess, you know, was a follower follower of hers, whether it be through wrestling or through Terrace House, I think would would probably say the same. It's um it's just uh it's it's tragic and I think what she you know, what she I guess was attempting to do is really to shine a light on just what the what goes on on social media that I think a lot of us don't really comprehend, especially for somebody in her position, being a young woman um, in the public eye and, um, you know, just having, you know, just essentially like being put, put, putting yourself out there on a TV show that really reflects, um, I would say, you know, much of who you might be. Uh, and it's absolutely an edited form of who you might be. And, it can get misconstrued, um, you know, for the purpose of, of the TV show. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it results in, I would say, a really, really, like, difficult to manage um, types of comments and just criticism, especially for a young person who's only 22, really just starting to form her own identity herself. Um, so I think I've all like you know i i certainly am, am having myself like just conversations with myself about like why i'm on social media what i'm getting out of it um you know it's it i don't know like lately it, it really feels like it's more harm than good and it's you know it's a, a certain element of like our generation that it is as you know, normal or as much of a function of your daily life as, you know, a prior generation would treat like a phone or just something that is just so, so um, tied to your daily routine. And, you know, I, I go back to, you know, uh, Maura Ronaldo, who got off all of social media last fall after, the, you know, the, that that stuff that went down Survivor Series weekend and said it was the best thing he ever did was just cutting off everything. And not not being on social media anymore. And for a lot of people, it's almost like this this thing that you are so tied to. And um, I, I think you certainly have to weigh like what role it plays in your life. This is certainly uh, an, an extreme case, but if it's something that is is bringing you like um, consistently affecting your your mood, you should not be leaving a computer screen in a worse state than when you sat down at it. And if that's something that's doing it for you, I, I think that that's a conversation you, you probably should have with, with yourself about at least the amount of time you're, you're spending on it. And again, like, I, I don't want to like, just uh, tie this all up. Like I, I don't know all the things that, that was going through her mind on that final day. I don't know if what we'll ever know, but certainly, you know, this, is you know a part of that conversation no doubt at all and i think that i think i think way a lot of people are probably having the same kind of um yeah conflict that you're having for sure for sure um 
I guess if there's like, you know, like one thought I, I suppose I've had is that, you know, I think a lot of people right now are going around looking for like culprits and looking for people to blame. And I, I, I definitely think that a conversation should be had about what happened here and how it could have been prevented at the same time. Um, I would suggest people be very careful if they're going to name specific names because it's a very complex situation and um I I don't think you can necessarily say one person was responsible. It's it it's just a terrible case either way, but um be careful when you you know how you manage your anger too because a lot of people I understand are very angry and they absolutely have the right to be, but um we have to be, you know, careful about that too. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um they they did mention her on the pay-per-view tonight along with uh Shad Gaspard and you know one really uh touching story is that the the Shad Gaspard GoFundMe they hit the goal already and there was a donation made uh for $40,000 um that was just listed as uh CTC RIP which was the um uh, the the acronym that was used when John Cena was you know paired with Crime Time uh, in 2008 uh, that they utilized together. So there's a lot of uh, speculation that it was John Cena that made that enormous uh, donation. But I mean, it's wonderful news that the family is going to be able to receive that during during this time. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing if it is him or whoever it is. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, well, we're going to go into the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which happened on Saturday night. After we review the show, we'll open up the phone lines and go through feedback from the forum as well. So if you want to get in, uh, you can search for Post Wrestling on Skype. But uh, do uh, wait until we're done our review to call in, and we'll get to as many calls as we can. I I slept away for uh, three hours, three and a half hours, and then I I was outside today, and I got severely sunburned. Oh, that's nice. Where were you? What I were you doing? For, were you on a boat or something? No, I went. I, we went out for a walk for like two hours um, by the lake, and I, uh, my wife asked me, she's like, "Do you want sunscreen?" I was like, oh, "I'll be fine." What's not get fine? Ah, uh, arms, neck. It's really not bad. I'd say severely, not severely, but I got sunburned. So I got that feeling. I feel sunburned. I mean, it's almost like a nice feeling to have. I suppose after being uh, kind of, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that out of a, did, did you see those pictures today at a Bellwoods. Trinity Bellwoods? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Toronto. What oh, are we doing? Man. Right. It was like, uh, it was like Woodstock was happening at Trinity Bellwoods today. And uh, a lot of people were very disappointed in our, in our city today. And uh, yeah, we did it. We did not look good today with, with that. Nonetheless, let us get into double or nothing. Uh, we had the, the buy-in pre-show hosted by Excalibur and Taz. Tony Schiavone interviewed Jake Roberts and Lance Archer inside this abandoned garage where Archer destroyed a toilet. He did, yeah. I guess this was uh, it's the place that had uh, old toilet. Was this was this supposed to be a sign? The uh, the son of a plumber. I'm coming for you, Cody. The the son of the son of the plumber. Well, we know that Cody destroyed a throne a year ago. On that edition, <laughs> oh, so Lance Archer destroyed a throne. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's actually kind of what the tie-in was. Maybe I should have gotten that quicker. That's I, why you're here, Wade. I have no idea. Private party and best friends. It was a number one contenders match uh, for a future AEW uh, tag title match. 15 minutes, 13 seconds. They went. Um, there, there was a screw up on on the silly string spot that um, 
you know, sometimes with private party, they do a lot of double team maneuvers and they can be hit and miss at times. We we saw that in this, but uh, overall, I thought they they wrestled a very good match. I thought Best Friends had a very good match. I thought Best Friends looked very good throughout this. Uh, Private Party hit the G9 as a tribute to Shad Gaspard Mm. that the announcers uh, brought up. That was a really cool spot to have in there. And then it ended with uh, Chuck Taylor running Isaiah Cassidy into the post as the Best Friends hit Strong Zero, pinning Mark Quinn, and they will get the future title shot. So a predictable outcome, but I thought that, um, you know, Taylor and Trent, they've had a really good run, and I I, I was... uh, in particular, I thought they were the ones that uh, really stood out in this match. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought this was just a good way to, of setting up the next challengers. Um, best friends have been two people that we've seen pretty consistently for a while, unlike Private Party. So, um, you know, um, I I thought this kind of put them right up into that spot. It, for me, I will say it's a, it's a style of match that is a bit tougher for me to get into without more of a crowd ooing and awing And... I really don't know what it is, but like over the past couple of weeks, the, the the audience that they do have at Daly's place, it hasn't made as big of a difference to me as perhaps you know um, when I initially heard them. And I don't know if that's just me getting used to it and comparing to in my mind what should be an even bigger reaction. But um, I'm sure it's better than not having a crowd at all. I'm with you, and I think tonight I was trying to figure this out as well. And throughout this pay per view. Like, we're getting this crowd noise, but to me, watching, especially a pay-per-view as opposed to Dynamite, these pay-per-views I so associate with hot crowds, mm-hmm. and the issue, I think, with these crowds that they do have is that, in a weird way, when a crowd is down, you know they're not into something, but it does make up because then you can appreciate when they are into something. With this crowd, it's like this flat line mm-hmm. where there's noise, but it's not because they're appreciably into something or not, or, or they're dead for something. They're always making noise. And it's almost like I'm playing a video game where it's just the track that is there. And that's kind of what I fell into with these AEW shows. You know, you're not getting like giant, you're not getting a 10 from the crowd. You're never getting a zero, but it's like a four to a five straight through. Yeah. there's no peak or valley it's really just kind of one consistent thing and the problem is when you only have so many people i don't know if it's even possible to get up to 10 the loudest you might be able to get is a five you know unless you're turning from zero to five and i don't think that's good either uh i guess you know partially maybe we have to ask vitor belfort how loud of a noise he was making Vitor Belfort was in the house along with Dan Lambert and Vicky Guerrero. Those were your VIPs in the crowd throughout the night. I wonder if Vicky had a voice by the end of the night. They they did showcase her screaming at one point, but um that that was about it. But um what what a list of guests that we had. Didn't know Vitor was a wrestling fan. I guess like what is he training with Dan Lambert right now? Oh god, he's he's been all over the place. I don't think no, he's not training there. Um but he's always been like a fl- he, not always been, but he is based there in Florida. Wow, he's been all over the place. I mean, he's kind of talking about, you know, fighting for one championship. Uh, we'll see. Um, but he was there, so who knows? Yeah, I I did not expect to see his face. Almost had about as much of a of an impact on this show as Mike Tyson did. Yeah, well, I would say Tyson uh, was was a bit more uh, jiffable by the end of the show. <laughs> uh, the pre-show ended with a, an Arn Anderson promo saying that unlike toilets, 
Cody hits back and he goes through all these what if uh, scenarios. Dusty's legacy will live on forever. Part of that is through Cody, but Cody is starting his own legacy and he does not doubt that Cody's going to win the big one tonight. So the pay-per-view begins and they start off with this video where it's all of the like baby faces, heels. They're all out of character, thanking the first responders. And there was also a a graphic for uh, Shad Gaspard here. And then later on in the show, they would uh, note uh, Hanukkah's passing as well. But just kind of a nice start to it where it's like, okay, we're we're not playing our characters here. Uh, It's just everyone thanking the first responders. It was a nice way to start the show. It was a really well done video. You know, very good script, very well put together and Again, I guess, you know, really taking the tactic that we we see WWE, um, you know, decide not to. And that's pretty much like directly bring up what's going on in the world right now. WWE's philosophy seems to be more like, you know, you guys hear about this stuff enough on the news. We're going to not mention it, even though, you know, of course, we all know what's going on. But AEW's philosophy is to really kind of tackle it head on. This is what's happening in the world. We're going to, you know, present it to you, and we're going to say that this we're, we we are doing these shows, you know, um, in response to. I mean, according to them, help you forget about it, as Tony Schiavone said. Uh, so we didn't have this this item uh, last night because it uh was reported late, but uh, Ray Phoenix was out of the ladder match, so Joey Janela took his spot in this match, and we got a promo from him as well as Kip Sabian and Christopher Daniels on behalf of Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky as the latter match kicked, uh, kicked things off. We had Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky as the first two entrants and a gigantic timer on the wall counting down and every two minutes a new member would enter and they really didn't push this or even tease this, um, but the rules were that you could go for the poker chip as soon as the match begins. So it actually favors the people in there early. And the announcers brought up that, you know, Kazarian and Sky could really just like rig this whole thing. And they just decide, well, one of us can, can take it and let the other guy take it. It really would have ended up being a better result for, for the two of them. Uh, but, you know, they decided not to do that. Like if Scorpio Sky said, hey, let me take the chip. I get the title match. You get the first title shot at me. Was that what they were trying to tease that they were going to do as they both reached for ladders? They were both reached for ladders, but then they threw the ladders away. And Jim Ross said, you know why they're not going to do that? Because of honor. They have too much honor to do that. I was like, no, okay. that's brains. That's if, if, if you and I were in this scenario way, that's 1000% what you and I would do. Speak for yourself. I have oh, honor. I'd throw the honor out the window. <laughs> I'd go for this chip immediately. So... They abandoned the ladders and they just had like a two minute match. Kip Sabian was in next, which allowed Jimmy Havoc to become like the unofficial entrant in this match, who was just assisting Kip. Darby Allen came in. This guy was out of his mind. He pulled out the guardrails, set up a ladder as a bridge between the ring and the guardrail. And then as Kazarian is set on the ladder, he grabs a skateboard, climbs up this gigantic ladder and comes off down onto the skateboard, missing Kazarian, breaking the ladder in half, and then he just grabbed his shins and just screamed in pain. And we did not hear from Darby Allen for like another 10 minutes. This spot was insane. Oh my God. Like, it was just <laughs> stupid. Um, and But, you know, like, I've seen some of Darby Allen's skateboard videos, and this is his style. It's just like stu- 
stupid jumps with no even real intention of like really landing them in a skateboarding sense, but just doing it. Um, I definitely worried about him, uh, but I mean, the guy, you know, this was meant to to look stupid to take about for the rest of the match, and the guy came back. So I guess you get the man while you're young and you can recover from him quickly. But geez, uh, it's it was a really risky thing. Yeah, and this match was kind of just broken up into each entrant kind of coming in and getting their sequence. Uh, Orange Cassidy came in. He came over to the broadcasters to ask how this match works, and it took him a minute just to get into the ring, and then he's just standing there, putting his hands in the sky to try and reach the chip, uh, just doing all this comedy. Colt Cabana came in. He shoved Cassidy out of the ring, and uh, Cabana's just reaching and just trying to win this thing. He's not doing any comedy stuff. Then Janela goes in, and he just runs wild. Cannonball off the stage, leaped over the guardrail onto uh, going for Kip Sabian, and then enters the ring with a missile drop kick to Cabana. It's like, okay, Janela, you've got 30 seconds of focus in this match. Go. And that that's what it was, because he really had no other involvement in this match other than this 30-second sprint. It almost felt like, yeah, like... You know, here's the script we had for Phoenix. He was going to do all these dives. Let's get you to do them, Joey. And I'm sure Joey came up with them anyway. But like, yeah, just like use the mo uh, took took advantage of this uh, this time, and certainly I think made an impression with his style. I also wanted to mention though, Cabana before Joey Janela came in took this like I, a pretty rough looking bump himself. You know, off of a ladder onto his back, crushing his fingers in the ladder. Oh, the that's process. right, the finger spot. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that one looked rough because, like, man. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's kind of what you expect from these matches, though. You know, it's just people probably hurting. I I would do... I've got a thing about, like, just snapping or, like, injuring my fingers in something. Like, I, I would much rather... I would do that Matt Jackson crossbody and risk a rib injury than something that, like, with, like, your fingers getting, like, caught up in a ladder or something. I'm just... Ugh. Oh, I, I can... I mean, you. I, I've, have you had your ribs injured? I've. I. I believe I've bruised my ribs. Okay. Never broken them. I'm sure they would both absolutely suck. But I. I can they understand would. because your fingers. I mean, you use them all the time, and yeah, of course you use your ribs all the time too. But something about the fingers just like oh, dude, makes them look fingers so and eyes. I just it's oh man, I just that that's where I get squeamish. Mm. Anyway, uh, Luchasaurus came in. And he he hit Kazarian with a choke slam onto the ladder. This is where Darby returns and did a code red off the middle rope to Luchasaurus. And our mystery entrant, number nine, outwalks Taz, who is not entering the match, but instead Brian Cage, who has now entered AEW. Uh, he's uh, fresh off. He had had um, bicep surgery uh, earlier this year. Um, and his contract had ended with impact. So it looks like he's in now and he's Taz's guy and he immediately goes after Darby Allen. So this was Taz's payback and it looks to be potentially um, something for cage in the immediate is something with Darby Allen, but also having something uh, bigger coming out of this. Usually like, you know, when, when they set up these mystery um, debut types of things, um, your expectations can go pretty crazy for this particular one, because it was sort of buried buried within this like nine person ladder match, I didn't think it was going to be like that big of a debut. And so, to me, somebody on the level of Brian Cage, in my opinion, actually exceeds the expectations I had for 
a debut like this. We're talking about certainly somebody that they are considering a future main eventer, if not an immediate main eventer. And uh, making his debut here, I thought was uh, it lived up to the hype. Yeah, I mean, he will work really well with a lot of guys in in this company, and mm-hmm. Darby Allen is one of them. Um, he comes out, he breaks a ladder like in his hands as he comes out, and he is attacking Darby, spun him off his shoulders with what they called the F5000. Uh, Cage then climbs the ladder with Cassidy holding onto his back, and the rest are all trying to pull him down, and it takes everyone to overpower Cage. They take him to the floor and bury him underneath a barricade, ladders, and then get the large, giant poker chip that John Moxley stood on top of last year. Uh, they just got that giant chip and placed it on top of Brian Cage to try and bury him underneath this thing. It looked incredibly heavy. So either those guys were like, you know, working all of us and pretending it was just heavy or this thing was like really, really, really awkward and really massively heavy. It took four dudes to be able to carry this thing. So with Brian Cage kind of uh, taken care of, Penelope Ford ran out for a spot. Then Marco Stunt came in with a mini ladder and did an assisted choke slam with Lucha Stores onto Orange Cassidy. Um, it took all of Jim Ross's might to not just completely scoff at this. You probably had flashbacks to the Hornswoggle stuff. Uh, it was. I, I don't know if this was... This late in the match, I don't know if this was really necessary, but um, that was the involvement. Spot. I guess so. Um, Sky and Kazarian are fighting on the ladder together, but they get dumped off by Luchasaurus. This is when Cage emerges from the rubble, and him and Luchasaurus do this crazy athletic sequence, ending with a powerbomb to Luchasaurus on the ladder. Cage then hits Allen with the drill claw, Taz is back out, and Cage places Darby on top of a ladder. He lifts it up like military presses it, and dumps Allen to the floor. Darby is gone, and goes up the cage uh goes up the ladder takes the poker chip 28 minutes and 28 seconds brian cage uh gets the chip so he will get a future aew title shot and left with taz yeah uh you know for a ladder match with a roster like this i think it it lived up to expectations and my expectations were that these guys were going to do a bunch of really stupid things and uh entertaining stupid things and they managed to do it i mean there are certainly a lot of moments where i was definitely cringing like man what are you guys doing what are you guys doing with your futures um but you know unfortunately that's sort of like part of the expectation some of it was unfortunately i thought executed pretty sloppily um but i mean these are supposed to be car crashes and they're not always going to look great i thought they did a tremendous job though with brian cage in his debut they paired him up and had him best people like a luchasaurus so you immediately know where he he stands in in terms of like power level they had like a bunch of guys bury him with shit and they of course had him win the whole thing afterwards so you know if the intent of this whole thing was to promote your new guy in brian cage immediately i thought they did a fantastic job yeah to me that's the objective in terms of a ladder match i thought it was i thought there was some creative stuff a lot of insane stuff um what it didn't really hit me as like, you know, a top tier ladder match, but they did a really great job with, with Brian Cage. I think that losing Phoenix, you lo- you lost a lot in this match. Um, but that said, there was a, a lot of if you like crazy ladder stuff, there was a lot of that in this. I know what you mean, though. You know, like to me, some of the best car crash types of ladder matches have a certain flow to them. This one. This felt it... more rigid. It was just like, OK, it's like. 
this guy, this yeah. guy, this guy. It just felt more kind of manufactured as opposed to kind of involving different people. It was like two people would square off. They had their mo- thing mm-hmm. cut to the next two and so on and so on. It's like we never incorporated the nine like flowing in and out beyond like working against Brian Cage. And mm-hmm. it just kind of felt a little bit more um, rigid would be the word. Sure. Yeah. MJF, uh, assi- uh, along with Wardlow versus Jungle Boy. They they um, also around this time inform us that Dustin Rhodes is not currently present in the arena for his match with Sean Spears. Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, more to come. Lots of drama on the Dustin Rhodes front. MJF, early on, grabs his balls while staring at Jungle Boy. Tony Schiavone calls this sick. Jim Ross says it's blasphemous. Blasphemy. Okay. Uh, they did some cool stuff early on. Like, they tied each other up by the legs and then did these, like, balanced on their heads yeah. and exchanged slaps. And this was great. The handstand slapping spot, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very good. I then wonder if MJF... you pull this off in a video game. Are they in a video game? That in there? Um. I would say half of that ladder match should have stayed in a video game, I think. You think you could do a, throw in a skateboard jump in a ladder game? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. MJF then gets Irish whipped into the corner and his knee buckles. And Dr. Michael Sampson comes into the ring and boom, MJF is back up and he attacks Jungle Boy. This was their uh, their Fit Finley spot. Couldn't believe and it. He attacks Jungle Boy's arm, and for the rest of this match, Jungle Boy is pretty much fighting with one arm. He did a really great job of, like, adjusting his offense and selling this arm. MJF was fantastic throughout this as a heel and just breaking down the arm. Excalibur, um, maybe my my favorite note of the night, he says that Jungle Boy, because he's injured the left arm, he says, well, Jungle Boy is right-handed, meaning the left arm is the lead arm out in front because of the orthodox stance. Wow. Just right out there. It's a All giant right. target. Um, they go to the edge of the apron, and MJF gets hit with a reverse Rana and just tumbles to the floor. Um, this looked nuts. MJF then gets set up in the corner, and... Jungle Boy was on top as MJF grabbed Aubrey Edwards and knocked her into the ropes, and Jungle Boy falls down. He recovers, hits this Liger Bomb off of the turnbuckle, only gets a two-count, and then MJF starts dropping down elbows to the injured shoulder. There's a series of roll-ups ending with MJF on top with kind of a modified European clutch, and he catches Jungle Boy. They gave these two 17 minutes and 25 seconds, and I thought this match was great. I did too. Like I knew it was feeling long, but at the same time, I was not bored at all because I felt like it it consistently built at a good pace and like felt it felt deserving of seventeen minutes. Um, and it didn't even take a long time. Like within two minutes, I was like, "These guys have a tremendous chemistry together." Like it is like this could be a long, long rivalry in AEW of this babyface and heel that could go on. They like they brought up their ages twenty four and twenty two. Mm-hmm. Like these guys, um, I just thought these two knocked it out of the park. It's two of the be- best matches I've seen each have at this point. I agree. I agree. I feel like it was you know whether or not intentional when they originally booked it. I I think you know the amount of time and the type of match that these guys had. If it was 
to me, a match that was meant to showcase the future of this company. And these two absolutely did great. Um, I, I continue to be really impressed by MJF, not just on the microphone, but in ring, you know, on a show where everybody typically works as fast as possible, like his slower, more methodical pace, but like really like solid, you know, like technically everything looks good. It really stands out and it indicates to me he's not a wrestler who simply thinks about moves. Full, this It was like full of good psychology, good selling, great action. Um, you know, I, I feel like this will definitely be a match we'll, we'll probably be revisiting on, on some sort of like major retrospective about these two and their rivalries of the future. I think these two had a really good match on the Jericho cruise. I think I'd heard yeah. that. So anyway, um, this this was great. Like these two could be great rivals. Um, and MJF, I mean, going over, like it seems like he is... You know, you have you have several opponents lined up now for for John Moxley and MJF's up there as well. You've got Brian Cage that could be that's something you could pay off down the road. Um, but MJF would be the other one right there. Would it be time, or, or do you feel like they want to like cook MJF a bit more before they you know have them challenge for a championship? Because unless you're going to do the title switch, should he challenge right now? Unless you have like some story for MJF that diverts him away, it's kind of tough to not go that direction now because and granted, the next pay-per-view is not till September. So it's not like they have to come back next month with it. But the fact that they have been building up the fact he's he has one loss this year and it was in a four way where he, he hasn't been pinned this year. They have been hitting that really hard. So um, MJ from NJ is suggesting MJF versus Cody. What do you think? Now that Cody has the other belt. Um, you could do that. Um, I just think you, you do need a storyline reason of why he is not the number one contender right now, I think, at this point for the for the title. But you, you could do that, I guess. Like, he has the win over Cody that there's a natural to, to go that, that direction with Cody as well. He could say, I deserve, and I probably have already earned an AEW championship match, but I'd rather beat this guy again for that belt. I mean, to be fair, MJF never re- rose at any kind of point. Like, why wasn't I even in this tournament? Yeah, true. I, he was stuck in, stuck in New York, that's why. Oh. Uh, Cody and Lance Archer was uh, the next match here. And Mike Tyson brought out the not-yet-completed TNT Championship. They mentioned due to the pandemic, it's not done. There's still some gold plating, uh, which I guess was good to know because this belt looked... Um, not great. By far, like, the worst belt in AEW. I mean, if we're judging by first impressions of this supposedly incomplete belt, it it looks like a cheap toy. I mean, that's the nicest I could really put it. Um, the fact that it's incomplete, I think, really allows them for a complete overhaul because I don't even know what sort of gold plating they could put on this thing to make it look that much better, but... We shall see. At least they're honest about it. Really unfortunate. You know, this was supposed to be like a big, like, reveal. Maybe they're going to take some TNT to this championship belt. Wow. So Mike Tyson brings out the title, and then Lance Archer storms out of there with Jake Roberts, kills a dude, and Tyson is just there, like, laughing away at all of this. Like, he's just in Mike Tyson land. I guess, yeah. Is this Mike Tyson? Is this Mike Tyson land? Not know. knowing he what just was going on. To be, he seemed to be pretty chilled out in the corner. See, um, see, I've heard that he is actually a fan. Oh, he's a he's a huge wrestling fan. 
certainly from, from didn't childhood. Look, I mean, certainly didn't look like it. I mean, is he an AEW fan? I don't know if he's an AEW fan. He was an enormous uh, WWF fan. His like, like Bruno San Martino was one of his like his his heroes when he was a kid. At the start here, he, the dude couldn't have like looked less interested. I by the end of this, um, I hope he came cheap. That would be my 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 thing at the end. No, this was not WrestleMania 14. This was not Austin Tyson, unfortunately. This was not him guest hosting Raw. No. I mean, at least someone took a punch on that raw, like Jericho took the punch. I mean, this, there was nothing to this. I don't know what the we, point was. Like, the guy did no promo for it. Like, he did no promotion for this in the week leading up to it. It got no publicity. I think and... we definitely built it up in our minds. The moment we saw, oh, Mike Tyson's going to be on this pay-per-view. They built it up. They built it up. I mean, it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it was just to have someone to present this incomplete title. So, guess. what, the real title? Who's going to present the real title? Is it going to come back? Um, yeah, I don't we'll know. We'll get Lennox Lewis to do it. Mm. You know, I don't know if you can get bigger than Tyson. Floyd. So, <laughs> well, yeah, Floyd's uh, Floyd will present that the or the boxer. Yeah. yeah. Archer nearly finishes Cody immediately, but he rolls to the floor, and then he's going for the EBD claw, but Cody tries for a submission. Cody Cutter gets hit with a pounce in midair, and then it's all Archer on offense. They cut to Tyson here, and this is the meme that will live on forever of him yawning as they cut to him. Oh, man. Really unfortunate. And, you know, I see a lot of hate going around for the camera guy. Camera guy has nothing to do with it, okay? Like, he, he points the camera at, at Mike Tyson for the entire match, and then... And, and even if you're to blame the director, like... It's just unfortunate timing. Yawns are unpredictable. I mean, you can't, if like a cut to camera two and the guy's like just starting a yawn and well, that happens. To me, there's nobody to blame, but Mike Tyson and his sleep schedule. Okay. Cause the man, if you're getting paid to like, you know, be ringside to present the belt, I would hope that you wouldn't, you would know that you're going to be on camera the entire time and that you were supposed to at least, you know, look, look, look enthused. And clearly, um, they probably wish that they gave that direction to Mike Tyson because somewhere in the middle of this match, you could definitely tell that ha that occurred because the, the the change in Mike Tyson's reaction between this section to later on in the match was night and day. And I would almost say, like, if if he was at a zero before, he was really hamming it up to be like a fourteen later on, and it just felt so disingenuous. So Cody does a sequence of the bionic elbow, Dustin's final reckoning before crossroads, but Archer kicks out and then he hits a stinger splash, which yeah. is identified as such by the announcers. Well, what do you make of that? I think Cody just trying to have fun. Okay. Um, Archer uh, was walking the ropes as Jake is dealing with referee Bryce Remsburg. Arn gets onto the apron and knocks Archer off balance prompting Cody to hit the scariest looking reverse superplex I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, very Jesus high Christ. angle onto Lance Archer's head. Um, you know, obviously he seemed fine afterwards, but yeah. Uh, rough. So then Paul, Paul Turner runs out and tells Remsburg about Arn getting involved. Tyson confirms it and Anderson gets ejected, which prompts Arn Anderson to yell, bullshit. 
And Jake, for whatever reason, he gets ejected as well, although he just comes back with a bag with the snake inside of it, but we never see the snake. Tyson gets up into Jake's face, takes off his shirt, because I guess it was hot here in Daly's place, and the blackout gets blocked. Cody hits two crossroads. It was a little clumsy, but hit the two crossroads and pins Archer. 21 minutes, 9 seconds. Cody is the new TNT champion, and then this is why they paid Mike Tyson to come here. This is what the payoff was. We got to see Tattoo meet Tattoo, Cody and Mike Tyson. <laughs> two of the more famous, I would say, um, questionable tattoo choices in, in combat sports uh, together in the same scene. Yeah, it makes total sense. You know who would have been most pissed about that tattoo is this action figure company that we saw the ad for later tonight mm-hmm. that have this line coming out in August and you've got the Cody figure without the tattoo. So they didn't add it on, eh? I didn't. I didn't check. But. They showed an image of the figure, and it didn't have the tattoo on it. Hopefully, by unless the time- they did do an updated version of it. Well, maybe it's like a just a sticker sheet, you know, they can include in in the packages, and you can just tape it on yourself. Or uh, maybe there are people that are out there that prefer Cody without the tattoo. That they they would they'd be happy that that they didn't yeah. include it. Yeah, for the vid- video game, it'll be the uh, the awful decisions DLC pack. Yes, very good. You know, I thought this match um, started off fine. I thought they were telling a really decent David Goliath story. I think Lance Archer is just, like, really spectacular. You know, great intensity. Um, feels special, you know, when he's out there. But unfortunately, at some point, it just kept going and going with Archer beating on Cody. And I don't know if it was... 21 the, minutes. How long? 21 minutes. Yeah, right. And, I mean, you know, the thing is, for a title match of this, like, stature, I, I wouldn't even say that, that that was such a bad think allotment of time but i don't know what it was if it was just maybe them staying on archer beating on cody for too long i can definitely tell you seeing like tyson yawning did not help my own i think perception of the match because it just made it look <laughs> it made it look like this dude was bored and then i mean that combined with i think i would say what we were talking about earlier with the crowd noise being p- kind of flat you know whether or not it was they could really help it i definitely found this one drag a little bit yeah, and this would be, to me, a consistent thing throughout some of these middle matches was a lot of time given to to some matches that I think would have been a little more effective if they just shaved off some minutes. This being one of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was it was brought up the fact, you know, Cody winning his first title in AEW, you would love to have had a crowd there. But I mean, we can only make that argument so many times. It's like there are no crowds. So, oh, yeah, I mean. There's every every single thing on this show would have been better with a crowd, but what what are you going to do? Like we're not going to do angles, we're not going to do big things during this whole period. It's no, um, I, I get that sentiment, but it's to me if the if it's comes down to well, God, we need to have fans for Cody's first title, and it's like yeah, not an ideal period that we're in right now. Right, that part didn't bo- bother me as much, to be quite honest with you. I felt like if they were if they had a solid, really fifteen minute match. That was just like bell to bell spectacular. I I, I would have I would have looked at, at that moment as a pretty big moment, but instead, like after feeling that drag, the moment this match ended felt more like it was like okay, finally, thank goodness. It was almost like a merciful ending rather than me being really happy by the end. Um, I also feel felt like the stuff with the managers and Tyson. I thought it was really hokey and kind of sloppily done. And when you're talking about maybe a performer who's not really a wrestling performer like Mike Tyson, I guess you're really asking a lot and you're going to have to like, I don't know. But but even the stuff with Arn and Jake, um, I, I, I guess I didn't really get into it. It just felt really, really hokey to me. 
Yeah, I mean they're they're still continuing that that thing with with Arn like they they did prior where you know he does something that nearly costs Cody like he's he's a liability for Cody in his corner. Do you think they're actually still telling that story? Like Well, they weren't up until, you know, that spot and he gets ejected and it's like he nearly costs Cody by, you know, getting, you know, he's ejected. He's got he's but see, he's the one with the game plan. It didn't necessarily cost Cody, though. If anything, it made the match a bit more of a fair fight. But, um, yeah, you, you're right. It could be. Or uh, I, I actually just kind of saw it more as them just wanting to do something to involve Tyson. I mean, <laughs> if it was as simple as just pointing, I guess. Yeah. Mike, what did you see? Yeah, yeah, he got involved. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Mike. So Tyson presented the title to him, and that was it. Um, Alex Marvez... Shape. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, for 53, look at him. Mm -hmm. That's quite something. Then we had an interview with Alex Marvez with our newest character, Dr. Michael Sampson, who has an update on Britt Baker. She has a partial LCL tear, an interior tibia fracture, as well as a tendon tear. And then what is the timetable going to be? Britt Baker is going to announce that on Wednesday. As Samson adds that of all the patients, she is the worst. I would say this doctor is pretty unprofessional to air out his his grievances with a patient on TV. Yeah, does this violate like HIPAA laws to talk about how a patient's attitude has been towards you in her consultations? I would have to think so. I would hate if my doctor, like just, you know, when asked about my medical status, just went on about how much he disliked me. This is where Britt Baker makes Michael Sampson like her Tony Schiavone this week. And cuts a promo about, why don't you let a real doctor speak, okay? Ah, there you go. And runs down Samson. Uh, I think we're going to get that. So, you know, I, what do you think is going on here? Like, how long are they going to keep Britt Baker out? I mean, I guess in either case, she's she's gotten to the point where she's developed this character that she's so good at. Even while injured, you can actually take advantage of it. And still keep her on TV. In fact, make her even more compelling, I, perhaps. I, w- I would give her an interview segment. Yeah, sure. So, like a good version of the moment of bliss. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And I'll come up puns, with a name. Please. Oh, man. There's. I, I don't want to just throw told. one. Oh, man. Tooth be told. I'm not going to top that. There's no topping that. <laughs> okay. Man, uh, that that that's pretty good. So Please don't use Penel- Penelope Ford, Chris Statlander, uh, Kip Sabian came out on crutches with his knee all taped up from the ladder match, and Statlander took her down and did the, the cartwheels around the ring. Ford grabbed her finger to try and bite the boop finger. Yes. The did you also catch the most uh, impressive recipient of the boop? On sat on Saturday, um, was it? no, I didn't. Who? Vitor Belfort. Oh, he got the, it. Oh, he got wow. booped. Yes. Statlander hit a suicide dive and nearly crashed into the guardrail, taking out Ford and Sabian. And then in the ring, Ford does the the Matrix maneuver, hits a stunner, and then comes off the turnbuckle and just had this messy looking Hurricane Rana. It seems like there's always one spot in there. Like with 
Ford or Chris Statlander in one of their matches. This was it. But then she went right into the handspring, was caught off the ropes, and into the uh, slam and Big Bang Theory. Statlander wins this in eight minutes and eight seconds. I would say outside of the Hurricane Rana botch that they they had a, they had a fine match, and it was kind of in a tough spot following that 21-minute match with Cody. It's right in the middle, and there's no story to this at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is really a match that, I mean, you know... Was was born out of an unfortunate circumstances, and I think the the two did the best that they could. It wasn't a match that really did a whole lot for me. There were moments where I felt like the their inexperience showed, but I come out of this, you know, continuing to be really impressed by Penelope Ford. I think she's got great presence. She's certainly showing improvements pretty much in all areas. Um, but this match in particular wasn't really one that left much much of an impression on me. Yeah, these matches back to back, this and the next one, almost felt like a kind of just a cool down period. Uh, Sean Spears comes out and he's in a suit and he asks where Dustin is. He says he's at home washing, washing his tights. And then Dustin's music starts playing and he's all scared. But then he laughs because it was all a ploy. He had, he had set up the music to play, to get everyone's hopes up. The, the non-existent fans to get excited. He just wanted to hear that brain stew. Yeah. He wants Aubrey Edwards to ring the bell and start the count. And then as she's counting, the music starts again. Brandy walks out and then Dustin's back comes into the shot from the cameraman inside the ring. And I thought that was like a cool reveal that he was there. Yeah. Look good. And we just get a match, which was pretty much Rhodes beating the shit out of him, stripping him of his uh, suit all the way down to his underwear, where the cameraman has to zoom in on his crotch where there's a photo of Tully Blanchard on the guy's dick. Yeah, you're not joking. John didn't just make that up in, in the recap. Yeah. You know, um, I I felt like this was the most WWE style of comedy type of match that we've seen in AEW thus far. Um, I, I, there are moments where I can really appreciate WWE style comedy, but this certainly wasn't it. And to see it within AEW, I, I was somewhat disappointed here. I'm not really sure why this match needed to occur other than to fill time on the show. It, to me, did did nothing for Dustin. Listen, like Dustin is sort of like the uncle that drops by once in a while. He is hardly somebody that I feel like is in need of any sort of rehabbing. The whole retirement deal, I don't think anybody bought. It just felt like it was kind of like, you know, just kind of thrown out there. And you should really be more careful with retirement stipulations because I don't think anybody bought that one. Um, the return really felt did not feel emotional or anything at all and like spears like he's worked so hard to reinvent himself into this like very serious threat and doing something like this i thought just kind of dragged him more down to that comedy undercard heel level yeah i think in this role you have to be really great in the comedy role and a really like 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 really witty really funny and that makes it work um and, and i don't i don't see spears in that role at least not yet from the segment this wednesday and tonight um you know it was a win for dustin it was short that's the best i can say about it it was you know not much of a match 4 like, minutes dustin wins with the reckoning like stripping a, a somebody down to their underwear i feel like should come almost at the end of a feud um, and I suppose in their minds, this was the end of a feud, but I can't even recall what sort of feud these two had. What was this match even born out of? Something in the tournament? The segment on, on Wednesday. That was it, right? He just decided to call out Dustin Rhodes. 
Yeah, and Jim Ross said, yeah, they're going to have a match. Why the hell not? So, you know, I don't know. If somebody's going to ask me to, like, strip to my underwear on TV, I would hope that it would have a bit more kind of lasting effect and a bit more reason. Uh, then we had the announcement All Out will take place on Saturday, September the 5th. Uh, were you surprised that they they announced this for September? Presumably. I mean, no location was announced. That's notable. Right. I mean, I, I think no matter what, they would want to have another pay-per-view show. Simply, like, that's just their only way of making income at the moment. So I think the date that they could they could pretty much bank on, whether or not it'll have a live audience, that certainly remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, that would be the Chicago show. But, I mean, who knows? They just announced September 5th, all out. Uh, then they had a, a graphic uh, for Hana Kimura and Excalibur called it a senseless and stupid thing, instructing people to be nicer to everybody. Nyla Rose, Hikaru Shida, no DQ, no countout for the AEW women's title. Rose started off with the kendo stick, but Shida was able to uh, wrestle it away. And the first big spot was Rose putting her through a poker table on the floor. And then Shida would have her moments of offense, but Rose would consistently just beat her down. Um, we saw the usage of the poker chips as well, including Sheeta hip tossing Rose onto one of them. And then she leaped off one of the poker chips, hitting Rose with a flying knee while she was against another poker chip that fell over. And that looked pretty cool. Did look cool. Yeah. Good use of those. Do you think they were the same ones from the year prior? Um, yeah, I mean, you don't get rid of stuff like that, do you? I mean... I who, yeah, who would not. throw those away? Hell of a thing to have to transport, but I would want to keep them. Definitely like maximizing your value. Uh, from there, Rose caught her with a power slam back in the ring, hit that flying knee off the top, and then Rose brought in a table. They battled, and it ended with a powerbomb to Sheeta as she goes through the table, only gets a two count. And this was when... Like, there was a point where this match, I was like, man, this has turned into a really good match. And they went to me several minutes long, but they did have a big finish at the end. It was like a bunch of kickouts for Nyla Rose and like a 2,000 running knees from Hikaru Shida. Um, she hit an avalanche falcon arrow. That was one of the near falls. And then she kicks out of the running knee, hits another one. And this time Nyla Rose stays down 16 minutes 47 seconds. I would have cut a little bit of time off of this, but overall, this I, I think they over-delivered here. And for Nyla Rose, I think that this was a very big match for her, and I like the direction of Sheeta as champion. I like the booking, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nyla Rose has, is fantastic. Um, I feel like she's really leveled up her confidence and charisma this year. She's already there, and I can certainly see her winning the belt back sometime later this year, you know, just as, like, somebody to be able to chase. But tonight, I think Sheeta was the right person to win. She's been building a, so much momentum, and I think... Um, and she seems so genuinely happy to... Like, her celebration was amazing with this title. Like, she was so happy. Yeah. Like, in her losing tonight, it wouldn't have, like, ruined her, but at the same time, like, why? Well, you know, you have way more to gain by having her win, establishing her at this level. It felt like a win for her would do more than it would to just keep it on Rose. So I, I I feel like, you know, the match itself was a pretty solid war. Um, I don't disagree with you that if it was shorter, it might have been better. But I think much of that has to do with just the environment. And, you know, a match that otherwise might have seemed perfectly fine for its length can feel longer without the peaks and valleys of that crowd reaction. 
But, you know, Sheeta's baby face fire was really strong here. She was really great. Yeah. I think, you know, the the women's division has been probably the rockiest part of AEW since its launch. And I think that this this you would file in one of the um examples of, you know, a match in the women's division on a on a stage that that delivered, that worked. I wanna I wanna say as well, I thought her interview uh on the on the earlier video that they probably aired on the countdown, um, she was great, you know, like I wanna say Nyla it was fantastic in that video as well. Like her, her charisma is really coming out, but she does. She did a great job. I thought speaking with authenticity, doing an English interview. Um, like she had some lines where like, she was like kind of getting like a little deep and, and like it, it made you really want to cheer for her. So, you know, the language barrier is not something that'll keep her from doing more interviews. Like the way, unfortunately somebody like Riho, um, you know, it might've kept her from talking more on AEW TV. But Hikaru Shida, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see how they book her as a babyface champion. Yeah, it was it was weird. I was watching an interview. Did you notice the the letters at the bottom of the screen? It was like yeah, it was like weird hieroglyphic drawings. I couldn't tell. Not yeah, it was that. like um, it, it it matched what she was she was saying. And in case you were not able to decipher what she was saying, they wrote it out for you, and it was like everyone understood it. I was like, what a concept! It's amazing. So. The announcers then got really like serious here and they gave this speech about how everyone in wrestling is part of this family and notes that this entire period people are going through. It's been a very difficult week and like there was no like this wasn't setting up anything. It was just like taking a moment to just give like a nice message to everybody that we know this has been like a really tough period and this week especially has been very hard for wrestling fans and we hope you're enjoying the show. Like, I thought this was like, if I like just ordered this show, it was like, that was like a nice thing for them to just do that you wouldn't necessarily see on many broadcasts that they'd carve out some time just to dedicate to this. It was only like 60 seconds, but I thought it was like a nice message from the announcers. I felt like they were speaking from the heart and like speaking unscripted. Yeah. I, you know, there are moments like the, where the TV person in me wonders if they were just covering because they had to clean up the ring or something like that. Or prepare some sort of, like, pyro. Such a cynic. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just vamp for yeah. a 60. <laughs> yeah. We did get uh, smiles on people's faces from Excalibur. So I know. A- yeah. AW did adopt it. That sets up John Moxley and Brody Lee. <laughs> I just gave such a nice uh, re- recap of that. And like, you, you probably are right from this hardcore match that they had to clean up and just kill some time here. But nonetheless, <laughs> I thought it was a very nice message. John Moxley, Brody Lee for the AEW Championship. You know what I liked right from the get-go is that they put in the security wall in there uh, to separate them. I always like when wrestling uses the security wall and you don't overdo it, but save it for a big feud. Well, I'm actually not used to seeing it. Where where would they have gotten this from? I mean, they, they've used this in the past, like with Austin McMahon segments or just... Oh. Um, it's like certain feuds where you would just, you know, you have two hated rivals and you need the, the wall of security to keep them separate so but, that... But not the, not the beginning of the match, though. Um, well, I mean, you had to do the introductions and everything. They wanted to do this as a formal title match. They're not right. just going to come in... Because naturally, they should... Like, they're telling you, this is a big grudge match. And they're, they just want to get their hands on each other. And they're not going to just stand there and wait for the uh, introductions to attack one another. So immediately they just start brawling to the ring and 
uh, brawling to the floor, rather. And they're on the floor for a long time, as Shivani notes that Paul Turner is giving them a lot of leeway. Because it is playoff time, Way. I guess a pay-per-view constitutes playoff time? Yeah, absolutely. This Fine. was uh, There was a lot of leeway in this match for a match that had no stipulations beyond a regular wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Moxley sets up the steps by the timekeeper's area, uh, but then he gets taken away from Harper and gets drop-kicked. But then they move on back to the steps, and Moxley back body drops Lee through the timekeeper's equipment. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I wrote Harper in my notes uh, by mistake. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's I, not I feel easy. like I've, I've gotten used to like Lee or just Brody Lee by this point, but I mean, it's going to be really tough with the revival. So Moxley gets caught on the floor, took a half Nelson suplex through these like the, this display of a deck of cards that they had their ringside all night. Uh, then they get onto the stage. Moxley throws a miniature poker chip that they note is made out of fiberglass and Moxley hits the paradigm shift and both crash through the ramp uh, like it's Taz and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow in the ring in ECW. But this was on the stage and the officials have to go check them out. Moxley emerges first. Then Brody Lee comes out where he is all bloody or at least tried his best to be all bloody. Um, he looked pretty bloody to me. He had the cut there. It was um, it was fine. It was, you know. Um, so he goes for a discus lariat, a, and it's what a blood snob. Well, I mean, this is this is not top level <laughs> blood. Let's be honest. Um, he hits the paradigm shift. Brody Lee kicks out at one. Moxley then attacks the cut, and they're just going all out here. He's dropping elbows on the cut. Another paradigm shift. Lee kicks out at two. So Moxley goes for a bulldog choke, moves to the back, gets the rear naked choke. Even though Extreme Couture is not in operation right now, those lessons are drilled into Moxley. He gets the rear naked choke, only one hook applied, and Brody Lee goes out. And Moxley retains at 15 minutes, 28 seconds. I'm sure Dan Lambert would have loved this finish. Oh, man. Probably shouting from ringside. Um, You know, very physical match. They worked really hard. A lot of big spots. Didn't do a whole lot for me. And I don't know if it was just simply by this point, you know, again, what we were saying about the lack of the peaks and valleys kind of getting to me for especially a longer length matches. Um, But it just it just felt like, I think, you know, an extended hardcore brawl um, that for some reason never really gripped me emotionally. I I liked the match. It was not one that was high on my priority list going into this show. Like I didn't have high expectations for this match. I would say it exceeded those. I, I liked the ending. I thought the last five minutes were the strength of the match. Um, but this was not, um, this was certainly not the wrong placement. This show could not have ended with this. And I, I could have argued that Cody and Lance Archer could have been in this spot as, as well, but I guess they wanted to put this title match late enough in the show. Um, I thought it was fine. This would not be a, a program that I think you would have the legs to get another match out of. Maybe they do something on television, but to me, this was Moxley's moving on. This was a one-match program. It was a tricky you know, finish to try to book because neither man could really afford a straight loss, but you know, they did the... Uh, he, 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 Brody uh, passed out. He didn't tap out. And so survived guess, the paradigm shift twice. Yes, yes. Uh, so... I guess he can hang his head on that. And um, I go pers- feud with Marco Stunt. 
<laughs> I really do feel like there there is certainly work to be done with this Dark Order thing. Um, since Brody Lee's debut, I mean, he's been fine, but it certainly isn't a a gimmick that I think feels like it's a top level gimmick right now. You know what the worst stuff is with this character? It's like this company can't even decide if they want this to be a Vince McMahon joke or not. Because that was our first impression of him, was a Vince McMahon knockoff. That's our first impression with the steak and all of that stuff. And then you listen to any interview with Brody Lee, and he's saying, oh, it's it's not about Vince McMahon. It's more so like uh, I'm trying to be like a, like a serial killer. I, I can't remember what the terminology is, but he's trying to distance it from Vince. And then this match starts, and they're reading his bio, and they're like, uh, he hates people that sneeze. And they hate, and he hates people that yawn. He's not in control of them. It's like make up your mind of what you're doing with him. And if you're, if you don't want the Vince McMahon comparisons, then eliminate them because that was everyone's first impression of it. And that's kind of what this character, um, that was well, the Mr. Brody. I mean, that that in itself is a, it's such Mr. a contradiction. McMahon. Like it's yeah. like. I don't know. And it's not that funny either. Like, okay, it's maybe hilarious to guys that have worked for Vince McMahon, but to the audience at large, it's not like it's this great parody of Vince McMahon. It's not like it's this entertaining version of Vince McMahon. It's like you're just taking elements that we're all supposed to get because you're assuming we've all had these meetings with Vince McMahon where he does all this weird shit that most of your audience, that's not going to land with them. So I Mm -hmm. think they really need to just... Pick a direction and go with it. I don't think this is a, a guy that is not talented, but oh, it just yeah. seems the character has been... I, I don't know if they could necessarily nail down what this character is. He's 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 an incredibly talented performer who's walked into you know a, a role and a gimmick that I think Stu Grayson has done a tremendous job of, but... Um, or sorry, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson have done tremendous jobs with, but... Um, now he's basically having to assume it and take over it for it without, I think, a real clear idea of what type of character he's 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 supposed to be playing. And I, I, I don't think the answer is to do a Vince McMahon impression. I think there are definitely, like, negatives to just, you know, being a billionaire Ted type of, like, comedy thing. But yeah. he needs like, to... Like, take some, take some influence from, like, uh, like a dark, like... Yeah. cult leader or a serial killer like god knows we're seeing cult leaders on wwe that are being terribly done uh mm-hmm. wrestling could use someone doing like a really dark and convincing uh cult leader uh go that direction I, find influence outside of wrestling i agree john but that's also incredibly difficult to do especially if you're not a trained actor especially if you don't really have like the resources of the sort of like production that i think is required for something like that comedy isn't necessarily a bad way to go about it what what I'm trying to say is you don't have to do a Vince McMahon knockoff, but you definitely have to find a replacement a set of characteristics that are just fun to watch on TV or at least scary to watch on TV that make you feel something. And his latest appearances on TV, unfortunately, have not achieved that. Uh, Moxley just warns for anyone out there, keep your distance from my title. And the announcers say, well, Brian Cage is not going to keep his distance after winning the casino ladder match earlier tonight. So they were actively pushing and that should be, um, that should be an interesting, like, um, meshing of styles together. I think that's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting direction to go. Fresh matchup. Um, as far as I know, might be their first time. Um, is that something they do immediately? 
I think you I think you could do you could save time and do Cage and Darby first. That seems to be the immediate one. Let Cage kill someone first. Did they um, say like how this like uh chip thing works? Just that he can uh he gets a future AEW title shot. They never put like any time stipulation. It's on not it. like a money in the bank type of situation. It's a poker chip. I mean, if you have a chip, I can go and cash it in anytime I want, right? Be weird to awkward to carry around. Like a Captain America. But you can. Shirt. You can do it. So Okay. That would be unique. Um, I mean, AEW doesn't have that type of thing. How but. about how about Taz in this role? Do you do you like Taz being yeah. used in the heel manager role? I really like it. I really like it. I mean, Taz, I you know, as for, of course we know he's a great promo, but I I don't recall ever seeing him in a heel manager role mm-hmm. all this time. So I think, you know, he'll have a, a, a whole lot to offer. I mean, the guy plays pretty much a heel anyway if you like listen to his podcast or anything like that. So I think really think he's perfect for the role. Yeah, he they briefly did it when he came into TNA with Samoa Joe, but he was quickly moved to commentary after that. It wasn't a very long role. Uh, I definitely want to get like tough enough Taz, like yeah, like asshole Taz. I think he could be very good in this in this role. And yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing um you know him in this uh in this version. It's it's something interesting to do for sure. Okay. Now it's time for the stadium stampede with the inner circle against the elite. I was all in on this thing as soon as they did the entrances for the inner circle. So, of course, we had like drone shots. We had fireworks. Like this was like the opening of an NFL game. Cheerleaders, like the whole thing. The end zones are are painted with both the inner circles logos as well as the elites logos. And to come this out, had to be one of the more expensive matches put together in quite some time. I mean, I, I would put this up against uh, any of the cinema matches WWE has done recently. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of their big hooks. Honestly, like up until this point, John, would you say the show was worth the $50? Uh, it was a thumbs in the middle show to me at, at this yeah. point. Somewhat for, for an AEW show. Um, yeah. Below. Like I I found there there was parts that certainly dragged. And from the up until this point, I think my favorite match was MJF and Jungle Boy. I agree with you. Yeah, and so to me, it was really up, up to the main event to to you know let the customer feel that they had gotten their money's worth. So it's it's tremendous the entrances here with the inner circle. They've got the Jaguars cheerleaders out there. The band is playing. They've got Justin Roberts who did the voiceovers for the introductions because he's not there in Jacksonville. And it's just these elaborate entrances. They've got like the smoke machines and everything they're coming out of. So all the inner circle are dressed in football gear, which was just hilarious. Uh, I, I I don't think they were wearing pads, but like just like football jerseys, you know, with like sort of like the puffy shoulders and, and everything. I hope Jericho was wearing something when he had to take all those those fucking footballs to the chest from Nick Jackson. He was just whipping them at him. Or Sammy Guevara at the end. Oh, the, everyone took some form of punishment in this match. Uh, the elite come out. They're just in their regular wrestling attire. Matt Jackson's ribs are all taped up. Um, mm. <laughs> I don't know how this guy felt afterwards. And this was taped uh, like overnight. Uh, so this was done uh, late Saturday and yeah, overnight on Saturday and probably took hours to tape. Oh, yeah, I would think so. 
uh, a lot of work got put into it. And you they know, mentioned uh, 18 cameras, way they mentioned here 18 cameras that they were using for this. See, I really wasn't sure if they were going to attempt to do this one live. Uh, no way. Yeah, no, like, and I'm really glad the match is way better for it. Uh, and I don't, th- I don't, I'm not disappointed at all the fact that it wasn't live. I'm actually grateful that it that it was because, or that it wasn't because it allowed them to have way more fun. They did pipe in the 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 crowd audio from within the arena. Yes, which definitely added to the atmosphere. So we have nine people starting the match. The only one we don't have is Hangman Page, who after the match begins. Shows up on a horse, and Sammy Guevara's eyes just explode, and he just turns around, and Hangman Page chases him on his horse. Dude, this was amazing. Like, I know that they had intended to do the horse spot with Hangman coming in on it for one of their pay-per-views earlier, but they couldn't do it because of regulation or something. Well, certainly in an empty football field uh, with no audience members there, this really was the perfect time for them to save that whole thing for. And man, this dude came in riding a horse looking amazing. Like this was like the cowboy shit guy being a cowboy doing cowboy shit. I don't care how much trust you would have in an animal in hangman page in this whole setup. If I was Sammy Guevara, dude, I can't think of too many things that would scare me more then a spot where a horse is going to chase me, but don't worry, it won't catch you. Be like, like, fuck, I'm chasing, I'm, could you imagine? Like, this horse is running at you, and you're just going with the assumption that it's not going to catch me, it's not going to, like, run me down or anything like that. Do you know, do you know how frightening that could be? Oh, it's for sure, yeah. I mean, but you have to trust that these are well-trained animals. Oh you have to trust God. that they're hopefully the, the handlers being around, um... I mean, as we know, like I think Sammy Guevara is a pretty fearless guy. Uh, Sammy Guevara was, was the star of this match. He me. was completely integral to to the to the outcome of this. Absolutely, I just he was just so much fun in this whole thing. The remaining participants, there's a ring set up at the 50 yard line, so they're all kind of going through different combinations here. There's no way I can. I, I wrote 600 words here of just like spots in this this whole thing, so we're not going to go through all of them here, but some highlights included uh, the Young Bucks setting up a ladder so that Matt could do a praying moonsault off the goalpost onto Jericho and Guevara. Um, Matt with the injured ribs doing this moonsault. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah, and I'm being informed by the chat room that uh, Hangman did come out on a horse at All Out against Chris Jericho. Did he ride the thing to the ramp, though? I believe that... No, I think he just came out on it, and then he got off the horse, and they brought it to the back, I think. So I don't know how much riding he actually got to do. This was him riding a damn horse across a field. They cut to uh, Paige inside the building. So he's searching for Guevara, who has run away. And then he parks the horse, gets off, tells it to stay. We never see the horse again. And he is off to the bar. Uh, We had a long involvement with Santana Ortiz, Omega, and Matt Hardy. This this led to a spot where there was a, a... a pool and Matt Hardy gets thrown into the pool and they're threatening to like drown him. And first of all, did that rub you the wrong way this week? Because I did see comments about that. Um, Hmm. Honestly, it didn't enter my mind. Um, because this, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's like, I, 
I didn't think of it either. And it's like, to me, it was like, it was so much of a comedy thing that I didn't think of it. But I mean, the Edge and Orton thing, I definitely thought of it during that spot. Um, this one, I'll just say, like, if you're laying this out, I think that it would be very easy to overlook that. But it is one that this week of all weeks, drowning is probably not a term I would have wanted on the show. R- but that said, remind anyway. me of the Edge and Orton spot. With like where they're by the weight equipment and choking. Oh, each other. right. Yeah, I I don't really fault like performers to be honest all that much for for things like that. I mean, it's unfortunate, and I'm sure if like you know tasked to to do these matches over, I'm sure they would have probably cut it, especially seeing the amount of backlash that that they received. But in you know when putting these matches together, it's probably a select few people that have enough to worry about that I I just I, I I give them a lot of leeway. And personally I really didn't think of it because I was just so caught up in in the fun of it. Because this was Matt Hardy finding a lake of reincarnation somehow in the Jacksonville arena. And he comes up first as like the original Hardy Boys character, then into version 2.0, including a Matt fact, which was rebranded Matter of Fact. Yeah, he was. This is actually V one, right? Like when he was when he became this guy, it was actually. V1. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a V one. Yeah. Did we ever get a version two? No. For, well, I guess unofficially we did. We got multiple versions of him, but yeah, V one was the the two thousand three character. And this is the return of the Matt facts, but they are now called Matter of Facts. And yeah. like Matt can hold his breath for three hundred forty six seconds. Isn't that like an actual Matt fact they use back on SmackDown? I have no idea. Okay, I got to look this up. But can that well, be real? Uh, three hundred. That's a long seconds? damn time, man. How many? Isn't that like five minutes? Yeah, that's impossible. I once held my breath underwater for sixty seconds, and it was like <laughs> absolute tops. And I doubt I could do that now. Anyway, um, really happy to see the Matt Fax return. I thought it was used incredibly here, and uh, the transformation gimmick is just. Done so well in AEW. Uh, the end of Ortiz came when there was this giant bell that Matt rang so that Ortiz's ears were fucked and then taped him to a wheelchair. And then Santana got sent into an ice box that got locked shut. And that was the end of Santana and Ortiz in the match. Then we go into the bar. Jake Hager pulls up a seat, sits with him. They have a drink together, and then they just brawl all over this. Hangman Page did some of the most incredible spots you'll ever see in a bar setting. Like, he was doing, a, like, a moonsault off the bar, flipping off the pool table, and then it ends with him taking a urinagi onto the pool table. Hager then places him onto the bar, chest down, and rams him across the bar through all of the drinks and everything that's on there. Like, this is right out of a Western. And Omega is the one that shows up to help him, including a makeshift buckshot lariat where he flips over Omega's back and sends Hager into the bar with the lariat. And then they share a drink with Paige having whiskey and Omega having milk. This whole scene was amazing. It was so badass. Like, And it felt like equal parts, like cowboy film. And Jackie Chan action sequence. Like, Hangman Page was just incredibly agile here. Jake Hager was amazing in this. They uh, hit all the bottles over his head, and he wouldn't go down from it. 
Um, and then yeah, just they like, just made like Hager like the unstoppable villain in the in this this like cowboy film. And and then to like you know like bookend it with just like classic images out of you know a western of like Page serving a a, a glass to to Hager and then ending it with like him pouring a glass of milk to Kenny. It was so well done. Very very good scene. Um, then we had Matt Jackson do a spot where he's doing the rolling Northern light suplexes to Guevara and they start at like the one yard line and they constantly cut back. They're at the 50 yard line. Then they make it to a touchdown and Matt starts celebrating and Rick Knox flag. It gives him a penalty for an excessive celebration. So Knox gets super kicked. And then we just, we just got like football humor mixed in here. Um, Jackson DeVille, the mascot for the Jaguars, gets into Jericho's face, so he gives him the Judas effect. <laughs> then Jericho grabs Floyd and attacks Nick with it and thought he got a three count, but it's a two, and he wants to invoke the instant replay. So Aubrey Edwards has to consult into the... <laughs> she has to check the replay, and the play on the field stands. It's a two count as Jericho is furious at her. And then the next big thing was placing Jericho onto a table. And this is with Matt and Nick and Nick runs down the stadium steps and then leaps off the bleachers to splash Jericho through the table because this guy must have felt, well, my ribs feel fine. How can I make my ribs feel awful? <laughs> so he did this spot. Sammy is left on the field after all these Northern Lights suplexes. He's all by himself. The sprinkler system goes off. So he's he's just doused with water here. And he thinks that he is the winner of the match when Hardy and Omega pull up on the golf cart. And Sammy Guevara just sells this. It's amazing. So, they start yeah. They start in the golf cart and he sprints and he just leaps into the stands and they're surrounding him. He keeps going up. And then all of a sudden, we hear this buzzing. And it's not Vanguard 1, but it's the updated version. Neo 1, the natural electronic organism. As JR says, what? And Omega catches up to Guevara. They're on this giant platform. And he drops him off the platform. The two of them plunge with a one-winged angel, crashing through this these boxes at the floor and omega pins Guevara. this thing went approximately 45 minutes and the elite are the winners i couldn't believe this finish when i saw it like when you when you see it live i don't think you can really grasp like the height that of from which they fell but like this was not you know corcoon hall and somebody diving off the entrance like through a table this is not even like msg jeff hardy doing that dive off the entrance through a table this was a fucking football arena, okay? And it looked like Kenny was falling. Kenny and Sammy Guevara were falling from, like, five stories or something like that for the biggest, tallest, one-winged angel I, I think uh, we'll ever, ever see. Uh, it was a spectacular finish. I thought this was an incredible match. Um, you know, and, and some some people might even hesitate to call call these things matches, but, like, I, all I care about is whether or not a block of uh, TV, pay-per-view, whatever you want to call it, content, was entertaining. It was very entertaining. Um, honestly, John, I had a really tough time getting into anything on this show, just, like, given just everything going on. The match really cheered me up. It was everything I was expecting and more. Wonderfully creative. 
impressive physical feat and just like consistently entertaining throughout the entire thing. I thought this was super entertaining. It was um, to me like t- t- take your pick. I, re- I really thought the boneyard match was phenomenal. This to me was as impressive um, for what they did. Um, if you're ever a wrestling company that wants to launch, make sure your owner has a football stadium at his disposal and his willingness to allow you to use it. Um, this it was just so like like this was like a movie production essentially what they put together here and did it on I I mean I can't imagine the planning was more than several weeks uh in advance uh yeah. and shooting this in one night like this is crazy um yeah. it was incredibly entertaining and I mean even at 45 minutes I I thought by the end of it it's not like this dragged either. I absolutely did not feel the 45 minutes and to even hear that it was that long is you know, like this group of like, you know, Kenny, the Bucks um, uh, and, and, you know, Paige, what, what's always stood up about me to them is just their incredible creativity that you would see on being the elite week after week. Uh, and then you throw in somebody like a Chris Jericho in there who fits in so well. Sammy Guevara, who is amazing, like, like as a as a heel here and Ortiz and, and Santana and Jake Hager, everybody had a great role to play and everybody did a tremendous job. Some of my favorite spots were like the hangman horse entrance was great. The mad Hardy transformation was awesome. The bar room brawl was awesome. The local motion suplex thing was great. The golf cart thing, the debut of Neo. And then that one winged angel, like this was, you know, like going into the show, we had wondered, Oh, okay. Well, they like debut the revival. Well, they have to have like a major, you know, debut to close this match to like have it be satisfying. I didn't need that at all. I I left the show like more than satisfied and feeling like I gotten $50 worth. Yeah. I think that this would have made the show for people. I think that this was, um, you know, it was the certain highlight of the, of the show. Definitely. So, uh, that was double or nothing. Um, I think we should open up the phone lines. We'll also go to, uh, feedback on the forum. So if you want to call in, uh, just look up, uh, post wrestling and we'll try to get to as many calls as we can as uh there's quite a bit of feedback here on the forum so uh let's start and look at the poll tonight's show gets an 8.04 for double or nothing that's actually low honestly but i i guess if you're considering all the matches maybe not because usually like dynamites get rated higher than that but yeah let's hear what they have to say uh, let's start with Nick from Lansing. Really fun show, uh, top to bottom, but I just want to say that main event was everything I wanted it to be and more. An absolute blast to watch. We got a no one from Vaughn who says, incredible show. I'm so happy for Sheeta winning the title. She deserves it so much. Top to bottom, a near flawless pay-per-view. 9.5 out of 10 for me. And the main event was one of the great things I've ever seen. My dad was watching along. He isn't the biggest wrestling fan, but he, along with us, was dying of laughter the entire time. So entertaining. A fantastic show. Raphael from North Liberty. If AEW had stopped the show after Sheeta won the belt, I would have felt I'd gotten plenty of value for the money, but they absolutely killed it with the Moxley versus Brody match and then took it to a completely different level with the elite inner circle. It was an amazing match. I cannot put it into words. I love wrestling and AEW rewards me for that. 10 out of 10. We go to, I think we go to the phones. Neil. Hey, Neil, how you doing? I'm doing okay, guys. Do you mind if I... Um, I don't want to bring things back down again, but I, nope. I, I wanted to have just a quick um, 
word about Hano Kimura. Um, I could tell that um, way, you know, it was very obvious for us watching on, on YouTube that um, you're, you're, you know, you're taking uh, this quite hard, I think, you know, because, um, probably as a fan of Terrace House, someone who saw her perform, both of you, I'm sure, have had a hard week um, having to process all of this information. I just wanted to echo something that you said earlier on which is um, just to give a little insight, I'm not a mental health professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I uh, volunteer for a helpline. Um, you probably have something similar in, in Canada. Uh, there's there's organizations here called Samaritans and so on. And it's just, you know, you, you, you take some training days and you do some role plays and you're really just trying to signpost people. Um, and you know, it's. I just what I really wanted to say just on this was um, to to echo and amplify something you said, Wade, which is that um, you shouldn't um, rush to apportion blame to one person or even one um, section of of the things that can can contribute here. You know, there's you don't know what's going on with people. I, I've spoken to people on the phone who. Um, will tell me young people that they're 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 the life and soul of the party their their friends don't have a clue there's anything going on so you just you don't know what's going on um with pre-existing mental health issues you don't know what's going on with people's support network there's cultural issues there's family issues including rejection sometimes for lgbt kids and things like that struggles with religion there's there's any number of factors here so it's not just social media bullying of course that's reprehensible and should not happen it's not just sudden fame which can get to people too on reality tv so you know that's all i wanted to say i just wanted to you know it, it was obvious from the beginning of the show and uh, thanks of course to wh for the for the sort of on-site um insight into what is going on in the media in Japan but um, yeah it was um, I, if anything I sort of felt it quite hard and myself even because you know I've, I've spoken to people who seem fine and then sometimes you hear something terrible has happened and it's um, it, it's bad you know but mm. again I just uh, uh, the real point of phoning was to say um, what you said already way at the beginning which is um, don't rush to judgment on these things. Don't blame the TV channel. Don't blame just Twitter. It's not as simple as that. It's, it, it's a complex matter. Appreciate uh, that uh, very much, Neil. Um, yeah, I appreciate yeah. your perspective. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, where, no matter where you live uh, in your part of the world, like I, I certainly urge you to um, look up some of these phone lines that are available to help you. And I would... Actually, like around this time, I encourage everybody to just like call a friend and just check up if, you know, not even if you're suspicious, but if you just like, you know, haven't talked to somebody for a while. Sometimes just talking, talking, it really helps. So uh, thank you, Neil. De de definitely. And I, and I hope that both of you are OK, because you've had to delve into this as part of your job. And, you know, that can have an effect, too. For sure. Appreciate it. Did you watch the pay-per-view tonight? I did, yeah. That's a it's an awkward transition, but to do the sort of Michael Cole switching gears, uh, yeah. The uh, the um, the stadium stampede stole the show far and away. I think it was um, for me anyway better than um, 
better than either the Boneyard match. And even, I don't know what, I'd be interested to hear what you think, Way. I th- it topped the um, Firefly Funhouse for me as well, just for sheer creativity and entertainment. And again, the, the 45 minute marks, um, that was, that was, it's surprising to hear that it went that long because by that point in the pay-per-view, I, I'm obviously a bit ahead in the time zone. I was getting tired and I thought, oh. You know, there there are there are whispers on Twitter that this was pre-recorded and was they were very very pleased with it. So I'm going to stay awake and watch it, and I'm really glad I did because, as as you said, um, it, it was um, it was a real cheering up moment. There was um, so much there that was just a hoot. You know, even um, did you mention even just little things like moment where Jericho has the cone on his head again and he's just laughing maniacally or when they, they do the line painting over his crotch mm-hmm. and, and all of the moments that you mentioned as well I just thought it was it was uh, it was terrific so thank you so much Neil really appreciate the call thanks Neil uh yeah and one other note me. here from um yes. sorry this is uh from from Dave Meltzer uh who wrote that uh, they had a press conference, I guess, after the show. Uh, they will have a second Fighter Fest show. Uh, the date will be announced this Wednesday, uh, but it will be John Moxley versus Brian Cage in the main event of that oh. show. Interesting. Okay. Fighter and the Fest. original plan was to do Fighter Fest in London, but everything's being done in Jacksonville for the time being. So I would assume that's where the show would be. But uh, free show announce- or, or paid? Um. Well, last year it was paid. I imagine. It, I imagine it it'd be the same, like right? Ten dollars or something. Like, yeah, not not fifty. But okay, interesting. Yeah, but don't that's the date Wednesday. I I preferred the uh, Firefly Funhouse match still, but I mean, I think both are very incredibly creative and probably my two favorite things of this entire like empty arena era. Um, just a lot of like unique thought put into production. This one was certainly more physical. It was an actual you know wrestling match, if you even want to call it that. Uh, but they're both great. Hansi, you're on the line. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, before I give you my thoughts, I just wanted to say RIP to Hana. I listen. I'm not, I'm not gonna pretend I'm a, a, a big fan. I I don't know much about her, but when these situations happen, as and again, I'm not trying to like make it like about me, but like when I see someone going through that, and then you know uh, people are like you know like you know wondering how this could happen, right? This is what like, and again, I'm someone that should distance myself from social media. Unfortunately, I'm addicted, and I regret it. I, you know, write in a journal uh, to like get my thoughts out because I have really irrational thoughts, especially from the show that I came from, which has a very vile fan base, much like wrestling in a sense. And when you're kind of like, you know, a known character on that show, you know, you're kind of harassed with a bunch of racist and horrible things, and then you kind of are driven to saying, like, fucked up things to people because you're trying to fight back. And I, 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 I regret, and I go on different platforms where I see see people who are influenced by Opie and Anthony or Howard Stern, whether it be Periscope or YouTube, who are kind of going through that same type of thing where they're trying to promote more drama. And I try to tell them that, listen, it seems fun right now. You'll get more viewers when you do these fights. But I'm telling you at the detriment, if you're not mentally uh, capable, you're going to lose your you're going to lose your mind. So I just uh, if anyone's going through mental stuff, uh, try to write in a journal to get your thoughts out, whether they are rational or not, because, you know, what I mean, sometimes you might feel really irrational. You might say some fucked up things, but like you, you need to express yourself. So write in a journal if you can. It'll help you out. Um, as far as the pay-per-view goes, sorry for dampering the mood. Um, no, not at all. I, I appreciate it's it. really appreciated. 
and I listen, I thought the Paul Paper View was good other than two matches, whether it be Dustin and Spears. I, I, I liked, again, you know, I'm one of the guys that has been kind of like, hey, MGF is kind of like a, a 4chan troll promo kind of guy. I, he can't really wrestle that good. This match made me a fan, respectively, both of the best performances in the company so this far. Uh, and I, again, you guys said enough about the main event. That was a very fun main event. I was laughing my whole, I was laughing my ass off. Yo, I don't know if you guys laughed at this, but the referee in Archer versus Cody, he was so animated. It was like he was being given like, oh, you're going to be saying some lines. Like, oh, am I going to be saying some lines, huh? So like, he was so animated during the match. It, I was like laughing my ass off. I enjoyed that match. Is that Bryce? Quite. It was Bryce. Okay, well, you know, you, well, you, you got to watch the Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan. Oh, for sure. Okay, for sure. But yeah, so, but overall, uh, Nick, uh, Brian Cage being the surprise, I thought that's amazing, and I love Taz pairing. But overall, guys, I love the pay per view, and thank you for taking my call. And this is why I love your your. This is why I gravitate towards you guys because, and I, I thank you guys for not being hosts who try to get a rile out of me. I know that's fun. I know uh, crazy handsy is like the funniest type of shit. I'll admit I laugh at that shit too sometimes, but at least I feel on this show and on Agnew's show, you guys at least treat me like human beings, which I don't feel like on other shows. Um, and I appreciate you guys for that. That's why I love your fucking show. Take it well, easy, guys. Thanks very much, Hansi. We appreciate it. Um. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, Hanzi yeah. treats us with respect. Like, he, he's always, like, you know, very careful about um, not going overboard with his time. So, of course, like, why, what reason would we have to, to do any different? So, that goes for all our callers. So, anyway, uh, anything else, John? No. Um, let, let's do a few more pieces of feedback. Okay, um, and, and if you want to call in, phone lines are open. I know, Paul, you've been trying to get in, so uh, uh, please uh, keep calling. Let's go to Sean from Toronto, who says... I would describe the main show as being just as about as good a pay-per-view AEW could put on. Uh, give me one second here. Let me just mute you for one second, Paul. Let me just finish this. He goes, uh, about as good a pay-per-view AEW could put on in these circumstances, and there were no matches that dragged for me. However, the stadium stampede brought things up to a new level and delivered what I would describe as pure Looney Tunes in a football stadium. While these types of cinematic matches will probably get old fast, this was probably way more entertaining than what WWE pulled off, despite the glossy production. That said, the jump off the goalpost and the final one-winged angel can be interpreted as unnecessary stunts, especially during the same week that Owen Hart documentary aired. However, I was still highly entertained. Any any comment on that, John? I mean, I, I see them as, you know, very different. There's a there's a danger level, of course. Um, I mean, the, the final stunt, I mean, the, it was... It's very much protected for, you know, as safe a fall as you could uh, have. Yes, there is that danger. Um, I, I really don't equate the two, though. I feel like at some point it's like, man, it, it really sucks because, like, there's so much tragedy in wrestling and, and this stuff is going to get brought up, especially this week. Um, you know, where's that line of sensitivity? And that's going to be different for everybody. For some people, they, they get uncomfortable even, you know, seeing a, a drop. You know, uh, some people might... You know, it was the 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 Matt Hardy thing. Um, where do we draw the line to say, like, to to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and that you know, um, nobody feels, um, um, I don't know, like like they're being offended by it, or it's going to be different for everybody. And I, I'll just say that for a producer of like content, it's going to be incredibly difficult to to find out where everybody's line is and to make sure that everybody is okay. Um, 
And, and sometimes, like, you're just – people are not going to necessarily think of it, like the pool segment or the Edge and Orton thing. Like, maybe they didn't put two and two together. Like, not yeah. everyone is going to have that, that reference point of that level of detail. I can knowing- tell you they probably didn't put two and two together, especially in the case of, like, Edge and Orton or any of these. Because if they did, they probably wouldn't do it. Like, that is going to happen sometimes. And it can come off poorly. And sometimes it's, okay, we made an error. We we made an error. That's sometimes that is going to happen. But you're right. Like, everyone's line is going to be different. And things are going to interpret differently. If, like, there are going to be dangerous stunts in wrestling. And there was no shortage of them on tonight's show. From the ladder match, throughout the, the, the whole stadium match. Like, that. that is... A staple of professional wrestling is stunts and some that the margin for error is is very small. So, um, yeah. Let's go to the phone lines. Paul, please unmute yourself. Thank you for uh, waiting and trying to get on for quite a while. If you can find that mute button, Paul, the world is waiting. Um, hopefully, <laughs> if you can't find it, then I guess we shall move on with the feedback, John. Okay, I'm going to skip down a few. Let's go to Jay in Colorado. He says, the casino ladder match was insane. I was really happy with the debut of Brian Cage. Match between the elite and inner circle was exactly what I was hoping for it, for it to be and more. I loved every second of it, especially Matt Hardy cycling through different versions of himself and the bit at the bar. Butcher and the Blade are looking interesting these days. I dig the Butcher Ziggy Stardust shirt. Don't know if there's some kind of change coming, but I like it. My only complaint is the entire show was too long. I feel that we could have done without the Dustin Spears match as well as Statlander versus Ford and Cody versus Archer could have been five minutes at le- less at least. I don't understand why we had a lengthy review segment before the main event. Great show. I was just ready for it to move at certain points. Okay, we got a Doug from Tupton Classic. I think he means old Tupton instead of a new Tupton. Okay, Tupton Classic. How do I rate the stadium stampede seven stars on Grapple? I was in total hysterics for much of the presentation. They absolutely nailed it. It may not exactly have been the most serious match, but it doesn't matter one bit. It wasn't meant to be. It was a payoff, and it actually paid off. Much of the rest of the card was somewhat underwhelming, but still oddly enjoyable. I really enjoyed Cody versus Archer, MJF versus Jungle Boy, and Nyla versus Sheeta. The latter match was an absolute clusterfuck, and I wasn't expecting it as I felt I should. Did Darby actually injure his knee? That may have thrown everybody off, so it so, but Cage's arrival was great, and he looked impressive. I mean, do you get the sense that Darby was legitimately hurt at all? In the I mean, match? he came back in the match and was involved. I just think it was, you know, just shuffling from guy to guy. I, like, there was no one there that was, like, a constant for the 28 minutes or anything like that. It was like everyone kind of took took intervals, and his that was a big spot. He should have been out of it. I mean, it's very possible he could have hurt himself like there's not a a very safe way to take that um how serious um i mean he did come back later in the match and i don't know sean spears is a very good sport and penelope ford is probably worthy of a greater push as the top player i gave it a seven overall as there was just something missing for most of the show but i suspect it may have been simply a it may have simply been a full crowd to react to spots and false finishes good not great R.I.P. Hanakamura, though Excalibur was clearly having trouble getting the sentiment out in his address, his words need to be heard by all. Okay, let's go to uh, Alexander from Portland. 
Utterly fantastic show. It felt like every competitor was told to have the show-stealing match, and most of them are viable contenders. The crowd really helped the thing feel livelier and more exciting, especially Big Swole. Big Swole was awesome in the crowd. We didn't mention that. She was. Yes, she was. She was really great. Uh, the amount of talent in the ladder match was insane. Between Cage's dominant debut to Hangman drinking a whiskey and milk to Sheeta's winning streak earning her a championship, it's hard to pick a favorite moment from tonight. AEW has nailed down the presentation and storytelling in the empty arena settings. Was the stadium stampede match the end of the elite inner circle feud? I can't imagine it. I mean, this was not necessarily that definitive, and I feel like that's a feud that'll probably go on for quite a while. They still have blood and guts to do, don't they? Yeah, but this could be the cool, like, go away from it for a while now and then revisit it at a time when you can do the blood and guts, which will be months and months down the road. Um, But it's also very difficult when you're talking about five of your top heels and five of your top baby faces and not any kind of interaction. Like, there there should be, like, Santana and Ortiz coming for revenge and um, something with Hager and Paige. Like, you should at least get a match out of Hager and Paige out of this. Yeah, yeah. So I think it'd be hard not to mix them at all. But in terms of like having, um, you know, you you may want to cool it off a little and some people can go in different directions. But I think you'll still have that that rivalry um, underlying the, the theme of the show. We got Alex from Portland who says an utterly fantastic show. Felt like That's the one I just read. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, we go to Josh from Vietnam who says Brian Cage winning was a pleasant surprise. And I hope Darby entering into the program is entering into the program with him and Taz. That feud has the potential for some crazy matches. Although I feel like Orange Cassidy's booking is a little puzzling, and thus the reaction from the announcers toward him very heelish. So glad that Cheetah won the title, very deserving because I feel like she has been the number one face in the division ever since Riho lost the belt. Now give me my Cheetah Baker feud. Cody winning was surprising, but understandable. He has lost so many big pay-per-view matches before. He needs a big win like this to reinforce and justify his position in the booking, uh, in the rankings. Also, Archer has been quite dominating. I think he will be able to take the loss and bounce back. The main event was chaotic and full of moments. Most of it, good. The incarnation pool, the brawl in the bar. I can't imagine getting slammed into a pool table was very good for your spine. However, I feel the match was overall a bit too long and as a result was sometimes all over the place. I think it could benefit from being five to seven minutes shorter and would have delivered the same result. Let's do uh, the last two here. David from Bond writes, I might have a different opinion than the majority. I found a lot of the pacing of the matches on the undercard slow and underwhelming. I did enjoy the MJF Jungle Boy match and the women's title match, though it also went a bit long. The latter match was decent. It had some crazy spots, and it's great to see Brian Cage in AEW. I don't know if it hindered my opinion, but I watched the show with my brother who fell asleep during the Moxley Brody Lee match. Either it was that or the lack of fans, but something definitely hurt my opinion of some of these matches. That said, the main event was amazing. More than made up for me. It was hilarious, and I was thoroughly entertained. 7.5 out of 10. Rest in peace, Hanakamura. I don't think that's um, a wild take at all on this show. It's kind of how I felt about it. It was I, I loved the MGF Jungle Boy match, and I think that there was, again, up until the stadium match, I, I would go thumbs in the middle on this show, but I think that... You know, those final 45 minutes really put this match, this show over the top. Um, There was nothing terrible on this show, but I thought it was, um, it did drag to me at at points, certainly. Yeah, like to me, a big difference between, you know, the the two matches that I think are receiving positive reviews and some of the other ones um, are that they, they managed to just hold your attention throughout the entire thing. Um, 
at least for me, that was MJF and Jungle Boy, and certainly the main event. But some of these other matches just felt like incredibly, I would say, flat and really similar throughout the entire thing, and some of them going as long as like 21 minutes. So um, that, to me, was like a big difference. And I don't know how that's fixed, you know, other than like having great matches or having shorter matches. But um, it's going to be a varying degree of, I think, reaction. Let's try one more time here. Paul, are you present? Hey, guys, can you hear me? We got you. Awesome. All right, great. Um, Yeah, so I thought the show was okay, you know, when I was, you know, throughout the night. Um, I'm really disappointed as someone who's like a big Ty Dillinger fan. I have no idea what Sean Spears is doing or what his character was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he should just be on his own and be a heel and be, you know, messing with people. I didn't know what the whole game show host thing was all about or what he was trying to do. But when that main event came around, I think like everyone else, I absolutely loved it. Um, one of the great things about all elite, um, I was not familiar with Sammy Guevara at all. And now he's my favorite wrestler in the entire company. And I thought he, you know, really shined tonight and, um, just real quick. And I'll let you guys go. My favorite spot was, um, when Aubrey Edwards had to review a pin, uh, like an Mm -hmm. NFL referee and Jericho Mm -hmm. just looks at her and goes, you know, you're a real piece of shit. (laughs) And I don't know why, but that just made me laugh. But overall, I just, that's my, my match of the year so far. I thought it was very enjoyable. Awesome. Oh, it was it was a tremendous, you know, presentation. It was uh yeah, lots of great moments in that and the the, the replay thing. They they had some like great comedy through it mixed in throughout, but it was never to me dominated by comedy either. Yeah, I just I I really especially in this time with the empty arenas, I think this is a time for creativity and I think when we do get back to normal, I I, I really do like for instance I thought the Shotzi Blackheart promo on NXT was terrible and I've been kind of razzing Brady about it, but like I do at least like when they make that attempt, let's try doing something (laughs) different. Let's try and, you know, even with like the basketball and the ax throwing, I don't think the execution has been great, Mm -hmm. but I think there's an idea there and I'd like to see uh, for more for the character building, but yeah. um, Thanks for taking my call guys. And yeah, main event was great. Thank you, Paul. Paul. Um, Did you see the Shotzi Blackheart thing? I did. What did you think? Um, the fact that we're even talking about it, like on a show that had so much other things, I think I I would feel like they would be pretty happy about it. Um, it was a weird, like, delivery, very unique. I mean, I would say to me, very much akin to like two thousands MTV, like Teen Mom reality show type of like talking. If you ever seen, like they show, they so. were obviously going for it to be drastically over the top and yeah. silly um that's i mean christ like we're 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 using a real tank for this segment i mean you're starting already at kind of the absurd so the promo almost matched like the absurdity level so i mean to me i i've i've never been a fan of that that like entrance of hers to begin with so the promo kind of just uh perfectly puts it all in alignment uh we'll see we'll see where they go with it i mean they it was a totally bizarre segment to watch on Wednesday. All right. Uh, let's finish off here with Ken Ken. Apologies. We can't get to everybody's feedback. Uh, there's just, we're, we're already past two hours, unfortunately. So um, please, uh, please uh, d- uh, tell us in the f- um, feedback thread. Uh, oh, I guess you've already done that. Go and read the feedback thread. If you're curious, Ken Ken says, I thought tonight was a good show. 
Match of the night for me was MJF versus Jungle Boy. The storytelling was fantastic, and both wrestlers being equal to one another until MJF resorts to heel tactics. It was great, and another good example of MJF being more than a good talker. He's fantastic in the ring, and Jungle Boy continues to impress me. The TNT title match was just okay. I was confused about how we needed to have the second referee come in to throw out uh, Arn Anderson. Seemed like too much booking to me. Just have the ref in the match, catch him in the act, and throw out both managers. Maybe had it been on an episode of Dynamite instead of a pay-per-view, I would have enjoyed it more. But I just felt empty after the match, even though I thought there wasn't anything wrong with the in-ring action. Perhaps I'm just being too picky. The only other negative I had was the Spears and Dustin match. I think it had been on the pre I think had it been on the pre-show instead of the, the good tag match between best friends and private party, then it wouldn't be an issue for me. Too much like WWE for my taste. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. That was a pre-show match. Um and it was in the middle of the show. It was short. It was four minutes. So it's like you can't get too bent out of shape over it, but it was um yeah, not one of the highlights of the show. But uh there were many of them from Double or nothing. I think overall, a pretty pretty positive uh, feedback to the show because of, of primarily that main event. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think I think that the main event. I think Hikaru Shida winning and True. MJF Jungle Boy. I think those were the three big um, positives on the show for most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see how they follow up. I mean, they when when is Fighter Fest? Well, they're going to announce Wednesday when it is. Oh. Okay. Yes. Cool. So we'll find out a date on Wednesday. And way you're going to be back on Sunday night. For you know, more. actually, I forgot to. T- I don't. I don't think we'll be doing it this weekend. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know. Reality shows is not something I really want to watch like this weekend. I think Pauline and I will be back next weekend for for Total Recall. Um, but in the meantime, like listen to a whole lot of other things that are out there right now. And John, you actually have an interview coming out Sunday night, don't you? Uh, that's right. I'm going to be chatting with uh, Jonathan Snowden. He's the author of the new book on Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. It just came out. Um, it's a really fascinating book. It's the most detailed um, research book on Ken Shamrock ever. And there's a lot out on Ken, but you'll learn so much in this book. So, um, yeah, I'm chatting with Jonathan Snowden about that. He has uh, written a number of books, uh, Total MMA, Shooters, um, the MMA Encyclopedia as well. So um, this is a book I definitely recommend. So that interview will be up, uh, yes, late Sunday night, early Monday morning for everyone to check out. And then Way and I will be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw. So thanks to everybody uh, tuning in. If you are a double-double Ice Cap or Espresso member, if you uh, tuned in live, uh, we do these after each pay-per-view, which the next one will be after the greatest match of all time. We're going to be talking after the... The greatest wrestling match ever. Yes, the greatest wrestling match ever after Backlash on June 14th. Yes, yes. So uh, you can't miss that one. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we'll speak with you Monday following Raw.